We're going to read the chapter, Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation for his princes were at Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them or be help or benefit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden against the beasts of the south. Through a land of trouble and anguish from which came the lioness and lion, the viper and the fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, I have called her Racheb him Shevet. Now go write it before them on a tablet, note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get out of the way, turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease before us. We're going to pause. We begin a new section in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesies a fourth and a fifth message of woe. This is a strong, strong message. He criticizes the people of Judah, particularly of Jerusalem, for forming an alliance with Egypt. Isaiah is painting a portrait of a people in rebellion. And so this particular chapter is going to go from rebellion to restoration to retribution. Part of the challenge of this particular passage and the chapter is to remind ourselves historically what is taking place. There's a massive army that has amassed itself in the northern part called Assyria. They've already threatened Israel and they're threatening Judah. The stakes, life and death. And again, the reason why this becomes important, because it's important for you. Some of you are facing incredible trials, more incredible trials than you've ever faced before. For some of you, it's sickness, maybe cancer. For some of you, it is your marriage. It is truly on the line. For some of you, it is your age. For some of you, it is your financial circumstances. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your job, whatever the disability, whatever the problem, no matter how difficult the problem, you're always going to have one of two issues that you're going to face. Am I going to trust the Lord or am I going to trust human wisdom? Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust somebody else? Judah faced the danger of extinction. Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, Babylon to the east. Israel's ancient leaders 
had trusted God. They had a long history. Moses trusted God. Joshua trusted God. David trusted God. Jehoshaphat trusted God. But now Israel had a wicked king and Judah had King Hezekiah. But he waffled in his willingness to submit to God. There had come a point in the leadership of Israel where they weren't seeking God's will, nor did they necessarily want God's way. They'd rebelled against God. And so the book of Isaiah begins and ends with the prophet's charge of rejection and rebellion of the true and the living God of Israel. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Isaiah to chapter one, verse two, remember what it said. Hear, O heavens, give Ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children and they've rebelled against me. If you go to chapter one, verse 20, it says, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. If you go all the way to the end of the book, if you fast forward and march into the future in Isaiah, in Isaiah 65 two, it says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, who walk according to their own thoughts. And when you come Again, to the to the end of the book, from the beginning of the book to the beginning of the book, there's a portrait, a portrait of rebellion. And it continues here in chapter 30. Rejecting and rebelling against God was a serious problem. It was a serious problem then. And it's a serious problem now. So what is the result of a person and what is the result of a people and what is the result of a church and what is the result of a nation that rejects the Lord God? Well, one of the consequences is a misplaced trust. It's a misplaced confidence. Don't fool yourself. The reality is, as each one of us face problems in our marriage, on the job, with our life, with our illness, when we reject God, we will of necessity ask ourselves, well, who will we trust then? Will we trust the United States of America? Will we trust uh, the current administration? Will we trust human wisdom? Will we trust man-made solutions? And so often when there's misplaced trust and misplaced confidence, we look for other people for hope. Hey, my life is a mess. My life is falling apart. Will you help me? Will you be there for me? Rejection and rebellion brought devastation on individuals and families and churches and nations. And it has certainly brought devastation to Israel. And now it will bring about a problem for Judah. If you look at verse one, they've made plans without consulting God. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me and who devise plans, but not of my spirit. I have a problem. I have a crisis. I have an issue in my life. There is an army in the northern part of the country that's threatening to wipe us out. What are you going to do about it? Well, have you? about this? Have you talked to God about this? Have you searched the scriptures concerning this? And they hadn't. They hadn't sought the Lord. They weren't led by the spirit. 
And again, as we read the chapter and we see the people of God having rejected God, they demand from their prophets soothing sermons designed to build their self-esteem rather than scathing sermons about sin. They would rather go to church and hear things that will tickle their ears or make them feel good about themselves. The prophet prophesies what the Lord will do. God's judgment will fall on the nation like a bulging wall in verses 12 through 14. They're going to be smashed to tiny pieces like pieces of, of, a, of a pot that fall from a high wall. There will be a sense of cowardice as a thousand people flee from one enemy soldier in verses 16 and 17. They put their trust in Egypt. Egypt. And remember, Egypt in the Bible becomes a type and a picture of the world, of the world that doesn't know God, doesn't trust God, doesn't believe God. And so God will punish them. Because rejection of God and rebellion against God doesn't simply result in a person, well, you've made your choice, now you have to live with it. You know, you thank God you have the ability to choose or choose otherwise. You've made choices and now you have to live with those choices. However, God constantly, throughout the, the Old Testament and even throughout the New Testament, even if you've made bad choices, even if you've done wicked things, even if you find yourself in a circumstance where through a series of, of, of bad choices and failed relationships and circumstances that you absolutely hate. If you're willing to turn from your sin and if you're willing to turn to, to the Lord, he'll reach out to you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. Rejection of God and, and rebellion against God. Brings. Initially discipline. And then judgment. This might come as a shock to you and it might even hurt your feelings. But God punishes those who reject his counsel. God will punish those who reject his love. God will punish those who reject his grace. And so God issues an invitation to Israel in verse 15 and verse 18 in the next chapter in chapter 31. The Lord God invites his people to repent and return to him. The Lord wants to save his people. If the people repent and return, he promises to do several things in this chapter. He'll promise to comfort the people. He'll promise to hear their prayers in verse 19. The humble, it says, also shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor men shall rejoice and the Holy One of Israel, God will be kind. God will be gracious. God will respond to their cries for help. The Lord will teach them and guide them, it says in verses 20 and 22. He promises an abundance of crop. That means material and economic prosperity in verses 23 and 26. The animals will be fed. The sun and the moon will brightly shine in, 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 at the end of the chapter. It's sort of like the... The, the song that you hear, remember Annie? She goes, the sun will come out tomorrow. We're going to hang on till tomorrow. The sun's going to come out. The sun's going to shine. 
The Lord promises to defeat the enemies of Israel and Judah. And then the Lord will come and sift the proud nations that that has led the people away from God. The Lord promises to fill the people's hearts with joy, with songs of, of celebration and joy like you do during the time of the festivals that have been set apart by God. In verse 29, think about it. Obedience brings comfort. Obedience brings guidance. Obedience brings instruction. Obedience brings provision. Obedience brings the defeat of enemies. Obedience brings a heart of joy. So why wouldn't everyone obey God? Why would anyone disobey God? Failure to trust God and to trust human wisdom doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. That's what it means in verse one. Woe to the rebellious children, he says. He he outlined the results of rejection. Look at verse one again. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Failure to trust God. When you embrace human wisdom, it doesn't make matters better. It makes matters worse. I'm not going to trust God. Well, who are you going to trust? My therapist. I'm not going to trust God. Well, who are you going to trust? I'm going to trust the medication. I'm not going to trust God. Who are you going to trust? My economic circumstances, the economy. The inherent goodness of humanity will be prepared to be disappointed. And look at verse two, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. The contrast and comparison between trusting God and not trusting God. You'll note something that with the rejection of God comes an embracing of the world. And remember, like I said earlier, Egypt becomes a type and a picture of the world for the Christian. It's everything that you were in the world. God In Israel's history, you know the story how Jacob and his family went down to Egypt, how they toiled there for 400 years, how they became slaves to Pharaoh. Those of you who watch the Ten Commandments every year on Channel 7 know the story of how they made bricks without straw and how they cried out to God. And they said, God, I'm a slave. Please deliver me. Do you remember the prayer that you prayed the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, my wickedness and my sin have consumed me. Lord, I I understand that. That if I confess my sin to you, you're faithful and just to forgive me, Lord, I want to be free from From the bondage and the guilt and the enslaving circumstances of my life. Lord, will you please save me? I understand that Jesus is the Lord. And if I receive him as my savior, he'll come into my heart and he'll change my life. And he'll promise me heaven. And you prayed that prayer and God changed you. He forgave you. Heaven became your hope. So why would you want to go back To the wicked world. Why would you want to trust something other than God? 
In verse three, Isaiah says, therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. You will become like the thing you trust. Isaiah has repeated over and over again throughout this book. Don't go to Egypt. Don't trust Egypt. Trust God. Put your confidence in God. Yes, there's a problem and a threat that's coming from the north, but you should trust God. You can trust God. It would appear that the counselors of Hezekiah encouraged the king to fight fire with fire. And we understand that there's this serious threat. It is a military threat. The king is encouraged by the counselors not to trust the Lord, but to trust the world. And so they reject Isaiah's counsel and the revelation of God. And they begin to sneak their way down to Egypt. In verse four, it says, for his princes were at Zoan and his ambassadors have come to Hanes. I want you to understand what's happening. Hezekiah's counselors have told Hezekiah to make a deal with Egypt to prevent the scourge from coming to the north. And so uh, Hezekiah, the king, sends ambassadors down to Egypt in order to make a deal. Zoan is a place in the northern part of Egypt. Hanes is about 200 miles further down the Nile River. So it's speaking of the land of Egypt. Zoan is very interesting. In the books of Moses, there's this interesting statement that's made about Zoan. It says that Hebron, the place where Abraham pitched his tent and dwelt with God, was seven years older than Zoan. Zoan is an interesting word, even in the Hebrew language. It, it means temporary tabernacle. And the reason why I think that that's important is because when you make a deal with the devil and you make a deal with the world, when you decide to trust something other than God, I guarantee you it will be temporal. It will not be eternal. There might be a temporary solution to your problem. There might be a short term benefit that comes. As you trust the world. But in the end, it will hurt you. And look at verse five. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them or be help or benefit, but a shame and a reproach. They unfortunately, tragically, wickedly are placing their confidence in Egypt. But Egypt has been weakened over the years. Egypt makes promises, but they can't deliver just like the world. Has the devil whispered in your ear lately? I had more fun when I was in the world. All my family didn't hate me. I could go out to have parties. I could have some fun. I did. I wasn't constantly nagged by the, the preoccupation of guilt. I didn't feel guilty about everything. Look at verse six. The burden against the beasts of the south. Isaiah likens Egypt to wild animals of Africa. So he calls it the burden against the beasts of the south. He the imagery is like. Have you ever seen Animal Planet with with pictures of the Serengeti lions and bears and gazelle and all of, of that? Oh, my. It says through a land of trouble and anguish from which come came the lioness and lion, the viper, 
the poisonous snake, the fiery flying serpent. Ooh, is this an Old Testament reference to dinosaurs? There's over 30 times mentioned about Behemoth, Leviathan, flying serpents. Ooh, is it true? Is it possible that giant reptiles lived in a contemporaneous way with human beings? Well, that's for another Bible study. They will carry their riches on the back of young donkeys and their treasures on the hump of camels to a people who shall not profit. What Isaiah is saying, remember, the king Hezekiah, his ambassadors have said, make a deal with Egypt. They've loaded up the camels. They've loaded up the truck. They've loaded it with riches. They're marching across the Negev. That's the southern desert that separated Hebron from Egypt. And in the ancient times, it was... A terrifying place. It was a place filled with lions and filled with poisonous snakes. It was a desperately difficult journey that was dangerous. Simply taking the journey could kill you. But they're willing to face the dangers of going through the desert, facing the wild animals And all of the dangers that it means to go there in order to trust someone that can't help them at all. Does that sound familiar to you? How people are willing to mortgage their home, mortgage their business. How people are willing to put their marriage at risk by being involved in sexual relationships. How people are are willing to take the most extraordinary risks of taking mind-altering drugs. How people are willing to take all kinds of risks. They're willing to do anything other than to trust the Lord. The advisors to the king of Judah have said, look, this is the only way out of the mess that you're in. Trusting God. Well, you know what? You have a real problem. There's a real army there. And in order to make that real army, you're going to have to have an army. But God has already told them that the army to the north is not the real problem. The real problem is their heart. You don't understand the difficulty of the problem that I'm facing. You see, I have a medical problem. I have a mental and emotional problem. I have a drug addiction. I have an alcohol addiction. I have a marriage that's getting ready to fall apart. You don't understand the terrible circumstances and the difficulty that I find. You see, it's a lot more complicated than you're making it out. It isn't just as simple as a problem of my heart. But the Bible says you couldn't be more mistaken. That's where the real problem lies. Because you will trust the Lord or you won't trust the Lord. You'll believe the Lord or you won't believe the Lord. You'll have confidence in him or you won't have confidence in him. And because the children of Israel and Judah weren't willing to trust the Lord, Not only were they willing not to trust the Lord, but they were willing to forget the Lord and make an ally out of an enemy. Let me ask you a question. Are you finding it difficult to wait on the Lord? 
Are you finding it difficult to trust the Lord? Remember, when the Bible says for the Christian that we are to wait on the Lord, it doesn't mean inactivity. It doesn't mean sitting around doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord means willing to listen and to pray and to actively engage God. The word wait in this particular instance carries with it the idea of like a lady in waiting in an old English court. You remember the stories of, of the Queen of England. She would have ladies and waiting and they would wait on their mistress. And when she beckoned them to come, they would come. They made themselves available in order to minister to their mistress. And for the Christian, we wait on the Lord. We watch his face. We see his hands. We wait for the Lord to beckon us to come so that we can minister to him. In verse seven, look what it says for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, him, Shebet. The Egyptians aren't going to be any help at all. So Isaiah calls her Rahab. Him, Shebeth. Rahab, by the way, Rahab becomes a word that would sometimes be used in the Old Testament to describe Egypt. But the word itself means strength. But it can also mean in the Hebrew language, sitting around, being idle. So in the Hebrew, I suspect that this expression, Rahab, him, Shebeth, means she has a big mouth, but she sits around and does nothing. We laugh, but I think that that's exactly what it means. Because isn't that the perfect picture of a world? The world has a big mouth, but it sits around and does nothing. I'll give you hope. I'll give you confidence. I'll fill the void in your life. I'll make your life good. I'll satisfy your needs. The world makes all of these promises, but does it deliver on the promises? It never does. The Egyptians will be no help at all. And look at verse seven. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Thus you shall say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. In Jeremiah 37, verse seven, the prophet Jeremiah says you'll go and you'll ask for help, but they won't be able to help you. In, in verse eight of Isaiah, chapter 30, verse eight, look what it says. Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for a time to come forever and ever. This is an Interesting passage, so filled with all kinds of interesting information. The Lord says to Isaiah, write this down. Take a note. He's saying, I want you to write this down. I want to use Judah's failure as an example for generations to come. I want Judah's failure to be contrasted with my faithfulness. Have you ever thought about your life as being a really good example of a bad example? Well, that's part of what's happening here. Isaiah says, is told by the Lord, write it down. I, I need you to write this down. I, I need every generation to understand and accept and, and, and begin to deal with this. Every generation needs to know, will you trust the Lord or will you trust something else? Will you trust the world? Will you trust the wisdom of men? What is it that you will trust? Write this down. And when it says that it may be for for time to come and then it says forever 
and ever. It's an interesting idiomatic expression in the Hebrew. It, it means write it down because I want it to be an example to your generation. And I want it to be an example to the next generation. And I want it to be an example to every generation till we come till the end of time. Do you remember what Jesus said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's the underlying issue here. The underlying sentiment and the underlying statement. Will you trust him? Will you trust God? I know you're tempted not to. I know you're tempted to trust that book or that advice from that ungodly, worldly counselor who's telling you to go in a different direction from the direction that God has already revealed to you. And look what it says in verse nine, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Part of the passage and the meaning of the passage from verse eight and verse nine is write it down. Do it on a tablet and do it on a scroll. I think that the scroll is the scroll of Isaiah, which is this book that we're reading. But I'm also tempted to believe and, and really do believe that in verse nine, it's a tablet that Isaiah was told. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a sign and I want you to carry it around. Some of you who have been driving around Denver or you drive up and down Wadsworth, you get off on the freeway at 285 or you get off on, on some freeway downtown. You see people, they hold up signs. We'll work for food. Other people hold up a sign. Who am I kidding? I'm going to take whatever you give me and I'm going to buy beer with it. Whatever the sign is that they hold up, they're holding it up. They're trying to get you to give them money. Isaiah holds up a sign. Here's a sign. This is a rebellious people. These are lying children. These are children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Make a sign. Carry it around. Liars, rebels, disobedient. Question. How do you think the sign went over? Isaiah's walking through the streets of Jerusalem. What do you think the kind of feedback he's going to get? What kind of what kind of feedback do you think he's going to? Did they laugh? Oh, there's that crazy prophet Isaiah. But here's the charges. They're rebellious. They're liars. They're deceivers. They don't keep the promises of God. Do you know what he's doing? He's describing the heart of a rebel. Has anyone ever accused you of rebellion? Maybe your mom and your dad. Maybe you grew up in the same generation I did. We are the children of the 60s. We are rebels with a cause. We're the flower power. We're the ones who reject authority. We don't trust anyone over 30. And then all of us were over 30 by the end of 1980. Oh. The Jewish people agreed to obey and follow God. You remember the story? Moses receives the law in the wilderness. Remember, God says, look, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And remember the deal that was made. OK, deal. 
You be God. And we'll be the children of God. Do you remember the deal you made with God? God, if you come into my life, I'll be so stinking good forever. I'll turn from my wickedness and I'll turn from my sin. In Jesus name, amen. And then problems came and circumstances came and trials came and you were disobedient. But God knows the truth. He wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember the New Testament says He knows your grass. He knows that you are men and women of clay with feet of clay. He knows that you are fragile. But for these people, they didn't keep their promise to God. They would have said, we're following God. We observe the feasts. We observe the holidays. We worship the Lord. But their worship was hollow and empty and routine and hypocritical. We found that out in chapter 29, verse 1. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Um, add year to year. Let feasts come around. Yet I will distress Ariel. There will be heaviness and sorrow. You say you'll do religious things. You you go to church. You read your Bible. We're, we'll, we'll worship the Lord. But as soon as they left church, as soon as they closed their Bibles, they pretty much went and did whatever they wanted to do. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, when he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. Second, the rebellious reject God's word. They refuse to heed God's instruction. So they made a deal with God and then they broke it. The rebellious heart rejects God's word, refuses to heed its instructions. They're unwilling to hear God's word. They're unwilling to obey God's commands. God instructs the leaders of Judah. He makes it abundantly clear. No deals with Egypt. So they make a deal with Egypt. God's made it abundantly clear to many of you under many circumstances Get out of that wicked circumstance that you find yourself in. Break off that ungodly relationship. It's causing you to sin. It's causing you to walk in rebellion and disobedience. Don't do it anymore. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. God wisely wants to instruct us so that we'll turn from our sin and we'll embrace all that he has for us. In Amos chapter two, verse four, Amos writes, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they've despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies led them astray, lies which their fathers followed. It's one thing to lie and it's another thing to believe lies. And it's another thing to disobey God. But when you lie and believe lies and then continue to disobey God, it becomes an invitation to judgment. So here's God's plan. Tell the truth. Turn away from lies. Embrace all that God has for you. Look at verse 10. Who say to the seers, do not see and to the prophets, 
Do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophecy deceits. Do you understand what is happening? The people are saying. Tell us what we want to hear. That everything's going to be fine. They're, t- they're saying we don't want to hear the truth. We prefer pleasant words from false prophets. I don't like to go to Calvary September. I go and he talks about things and, and I feel bad about my sin. But when I go to this church, I feel really good. I feel really happy. I, I have happy thoughts and I go to my happy place. Paul warned Timothy of the same thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, Paul writing to Timothy said, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The people of Judah rejected God's prophet. They shut their eyes. They hardened their hearts. They didn't want to know anything about God's righteous demands. They rejected his warning. They rejected the coming judgment. They wanted to hear smooth things, things that would allow them to live apart from God, to resist his holy commands, things that would allow them to think and live apart from God. They just wanted to be left alone. And look what it says in verse 11. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Do you understand what's happening? The people of Judah are saying to Isaiah, get out of the way. Get out of my way. Stop talking about the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah, stop talking about God. Stop talking about judgment. Stop talking about not trusting the world. Stop talking about trusting God. Just stop it. Just shut up. Just leave us alone. So the rebellious heart, they're liars. They reject God's word. They reject God's prophet. And eventually, they reject God himself. That's what he's saying. The leaders of Judah demand that Isaiah keep his mouth shut, that he stop talking about God, that he stop confronting them with the message of the Holy One. They don't want to hear about righteous living. They don't want to hear about trusting the Lord. They want him to shut up in no uncertain terms. And here's the challenge. We've had it with you, Isaiah. Either you shut up. Or now you're going to have to face our wrath. You've made life miserable for us, Isaiah. Now we're going to make life miserable for you. But they forget something. They neglected one important fact. That when you persecute God's prophet, 
when you threaten the messenger of God who's given the message of God. God takes it personally. God understands. God understands. God goes, I gave this message to Isaiah. Don't you understand what's happening here? I don't hate you. I love you. I'm trying to keep you from ruining your life. I'm trying to keep you from destroying your life. I'm trying to get you into that circumstance where you will trust the Lord. And look at verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, verse 13. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. The picture that Isaiah gives from the Lord is like a big wall that's been erected. Have have you known people who have built a great big wall in order to try? Try and keep God's out of their out of their life. Look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build this great big wall so that I don't have to think about God. I don't have to talk about God. I don't have to deal with God. And then all of a sudden, the wall that you've built in order to try and keep God away, there's a little bulge and it starts to crack. And then as it starts to crack, the wall comes tumbling down. That's what he's saying. The iniquity is the rejection and the rebellion of God. The iniquity is the refusal to trust God. The iniquity is to trust human beings, trust man, trust anything other than God. And what happens when you trust anything other than God? At at some point, your world is going to collapse. The wall is going to come crashing down on you. In verse 14, it says, and he shall break it like the breaking of a potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare. So there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. You've all heard the story. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men. How does the rest of it go? The pieces were so many. That you couldn't put it back together. The picture that Isaiah paints is a pot that falls from a high wall that is shattered in so many pieces. You can't begin to put it back together again. That becomes a perfect description of the life that doesn't trust God. And your world collapses. And it shatters into thousands of tiny pieces. The Holy One of Israel confronts the people who are guilty of rejecting God's message and guilty of oppressing God's people. And you've got to understand something. The dignitaries of Judah oppressed the poor in order to raise money and then take the money to Egypt in order to bribe the Egyptians to save them from their enemies. Why is that a wicked and a sinful thing? It becomes a type and a picture of everyone who's willing to make money and trade in money and make money at the expense of others to trust things that can never, ever deliver you. And it was the fatal crack in the high wall. The people's 
sins would doom them. The Holy One of Israel confronts the people guilty of rejecting God's message, guilty of oppressing the people, guilty of all of these things. And then in verse 15, it says, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. That's a. This is a beautiful passage. Read it again. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. The word returning is a euphemism. It's it's a parallel word for the word repent. It, it could be translated in repentance. When you turn from your sin and you turn back to God, even at this point, God is saying to Judah, you can turn around. You can go in a different direction. The answer, the answer is to return and rest in the Lord. But you're agitated and you're upset. You're filled with fear. Your brain is a cloud and your heart is on fire and your palms are sweating as you think about your circumstances and you you're you're fearful for your job. You're fearful for your life. You're fearful for your marriage. You're fearful for your ministry, whatever it is, whatever it is that's just creating this pain and this problem and this heartache. And, and you're thinking, how am I going to deal with this insurmountable problem? And God wants you to trust him. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. That means in quietness and complete confidence in the Lord. But look, look at look at what it says. But you would not. The answer is never to reject and rebel against the Lord. The answer is to return and rest in the Lord. The answer is to return and rest and experience his his salvation, quietness and confidence. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely on you. And if I die, I die. If I live, I live your life. My life is in your hand. I am going to do what you want me to do. I am going to trust you and I'm going to wait upon you. Are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you willing to wait on him? Are you willing to confess your sin? Are you willing to admit your failing? Are you willing to rest in his assurance of forgiveness and cleansing? Are you willing to find peace in him? Are you willing to find peace of heart? Are you willing to find deliverance from him, from whatever is threatening you, whatever is causing fear or unrest? Are you going to look to the living God or are you going to continue in self-effort? Are you going to continue to look to the world for answers? Are you going to continue to look for the world for salvation? Are you going to continue to look to the world for hope? Are you going to continue to look for those things that the Bible describes as those things that can never satisfy you? And look at the terrible words. But you would not. Do you remember when Jesus marched into Jerusalem and he cried over the city and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. How often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers his chicks under her arms, but you would not. 
came to save you. I came to forgive you. I came to love you. I came to give you mercy and grace and peace and hope. I've made every single provision that I can possibly make for you, but you would not. Look at verse 16. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Here's here's what's being said. No, we're not ready to trust God yet. You know what we did? We bought some really fast horses from Egypt. And guess what? When the when the army comes, we're going to get on our horse and we're going to ride away to safety. Do you know what this is like? This is like people who live in Colorado who go, you know, when the economic catastrophe comes, I'm going to get into my four by four. I've got some gas and I've got lots of cans and I can go to a wilderness in Wyoming. I know this wilderness place in Colorado. I know this wilderness place in Wyoming. I'm going to drive to Montana and there I've stashed guns and gold and groceries for the end of the world. Okay. You're going to take your four by four and you're going to drive into a wilderness where you've stashed guns and gold and groceries to wait out the Holocaust. Yeah. And what are you going to do when somebody shows up with guns and kills you and takes your groceries? No, I have guns and I'll fight them. So you'd pretty much rather do anything than trust the Lord. You're not going to trust him, are you? We have a plan in the event of a global catastrophe. And look what it says in verse 17. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. Do you understand what he's saying? You really won't be brave. You'll be a coward. Do you remember what the Lord told the children of Israel when he delivered them from Egypt? He told them that if they obeyed the word, if they walked in trust, if they walked in obedience, they would never have to fear their enemies in the day of battle. By the power of God, one would chase a thousand, two would put ten thousand to flight. Do you remember in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8, it says, Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. That was the promise. For those who trust the Lord, your enemies won't consume you. They won't overwhelm you, and they won't kill you. Now, because of rebellion and rejection, because of unbelief and disobedience, the conditions were completely reversed. A thousand of Judah would flee from one Assyrian and all of them would flee before five of them. When you rebel and you reject God and you disobey God. Your enemies seem enormous. And your circumstances seem overwhelming. And you begin to live in fear that there's no hope. What a mistake. What a tragic mistake. What a terrible mistake to trust in the wisdom of men. What a mistake to trust in the foolishness of men. What what a mistake it is to trust your own heart. 
instead of God's word. From that portrait of rebellion, now we see a portrait of restoration, beginning in verse 18. You probably gathered by now that there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this chapter. So what I am going to do is the next time we meet, we're going to finish this chapter and we're going to go from this portrait of rebellion to a portrait of restoration. That in spite of all of that rejection, in spite of all of that rebellion, in spite of all of that horror, God still has a plan. I'm going to just give you a tiny hint and we're going to expand this a little bit more the next time we meet. In verse 18, it says, therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. What? Who's waiting on who? Are you waiting on the Lord? Is the Lord waiting on you? Therefore, the Lord will wait. I'm not ready to come to grips with God. I'm not willing to trust him yet. I'm not willing to believe him yet. I'm not willing to rely on him yet. I'm not willing to do it yet. Therefore, the Lord will wait. The Lord's waiting. For you to change your mind. To change your heart. He's he's willing to wait. Look what it says. That he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted. That he may have mercy on you. Do you find yourself in a position of fear? Rebellion? Rejection? Trusting someone or something other than the Lord to answer the deep-seated problem that you're facing? Therefore, the Lord will wait. You don't have to wait, though. You can cry out to him even now. You don't have to wait till next week till we finish the chapter. You can do it now. You can say, God, in rebellion and disobedience, I haven't trusted you. I've, I've trusted the wisdom of men. I've trusted the circumstances that I find myself. I've been overwhelmed by the drugs. I've been overwhelmed by the alcohol. I've been overwhelmed by the fear. I've been overwhelmed by the disease. But I want to trust you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person who is here. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be wicked children, rebellious children who don't believe the word of God, who don't believe the promises of God, who don't believe the prophet of God when he says to us. You can turn from your sin and you can turn to the Savior. He will forgive you. He will deliver you from the penalty of sin and he will he will continue to deliver you from the power of sin. And one day, one day, one day, he will deliver you from the very presence of sin. And you'll be able to walk in complete submission and obedience to the Lord in heaven forever. Lord, for that person who finds themselves terrified 
by the future. Terrified by their current circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would fill their hearts, not with fear, but with faith. Not with terror, but with quietness and confidence. That they'll come to grips and say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you even in this area of my life. Is that you? Do you need to trust God for an overwhelming problem in your life? Just slip up your hand and tell him God knows the truth. He's willing in quietness and confidence to be your savior, to be your salvation. He doesn't want you to place your trust in foolishness and false hope, but in the reality of a risen savior. Are you trusting Jesus? Have you done exactly that? Trust him now. Trust him now with your life. Turn from your sin. Turn from your rebellion. Turn from your disobedience and trust him. Sorry. Let's stand.